Hi, thanks for listening to Check Us Out, the podcast of the Montclair Public Library. We're glad you're tuning in to listen to today's episode. I'm Peter Coyle, Director of the Library. In today's episode, Maurice from the Adult School will talk about upcoming September and fall programs. All the classes they're offering are virtual, and information can be found on our website, montclairlibrary.org. After that, Molly is going to share some databases that you may not know about. New York Times historical newspapers, and some other things that are great for research, and just to pass the time. Ken is going to talk about some big titles coming up this fall that you can get on our catalog, and Kirsten is going to share some new young adult books to download or listen to. And after that, Adrian is going to give us a sneak peek into a novel by Marta Golden called The Wide Circumference of Love. And finally, Nola is going to interview Montclair-based author and illustrator Christine Lombardi. Her latest children's book is called The Belonging Tree, and we'll be honored to have her join us on Saturday, September 22nd for an event. You can find information about that on our website or our Facebook page. Welcome. This is Maurice from the Adult School Department. Sorry. (laughs) I got the giggles now. Okay, we can do this. All righty. Take it away. <laughs> Welcome. This is Maurice from the Adult School Department. And this is Molly from the Adult Services Department. And I'm going to discuss some programming here at the library. And I'm going to tell you about a great use of your library card. Wonderful. Well, as far as programming for the Adult School, we want to welcome everyone to our fall session, which will open Monday, September 14th. We will be offering a diverse array of virtual classes covering a variety of subjects. On Tuesday, September 2nd, we'll be hosting Immigrants Welcome, a screening and discussion of three trembling cities. That is a fictional web series that depicts the daily struggles facing immigrant populations in New York City. Registrants will receive a link to the full webisodes in advance of discussion. We will be given a form to discuss the work with award-winning filmmaker Arthur Vinci on September 22nd at 6.30. That's a free event offered in partnership with Montclair State University. So it's not very exciting. We'll also be offering an Oktoberfest beer mug painting workshop. This is being offered in partnership with the Eclectic Cheap Boutique in downtown Montclair. That will be Saturday, September 26th at 2 p.m. We'll also be welcoming back Ricky Riccardi from the Louis Armstrong House Museum. He's been a, a frequent friend of the adult school. In the fall, he'll be leading Louis Armstrong Famous Duets on Tuesday, September 29th at 7 p.m. Lost welcome back art lecturer Janet Mandel with a talk on the life and art of sculptor and educator Ruth Asawa. That will be on September 24th at 7 p.m. We'll also be welcoming Pierre Fabian, a former UN officer, to discuss reforming America's alliances on Thursday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Meant to coincide with the uh, upcoming presidential election. Our relationship with our key allies is a element of the presidential race, the presidential discussion as we go forward. So you definitely want to engage our students. And we have a lot of plenty of other classes and a lot of variety of subject matter. We have language classes, we have art classes, classes in finance, retirement, as well as history. Sounds like something for everybody. And just to confirm everything's still online. Yes, yes. Our fall especially is entirely comprised of virtual classes. Yeah, and that goes for all the programs that the library is doing for now. So, trying to keep everybody safe. 
Yes, please say it's very important. All right, well, is it okay if we pivot over to what I wanted to share today? Sure, please. Okay, so I wanted to share one of the uses that you have with your library card. There's a lot. I've shared many um, in the time that we've been doing this podcast, so I'm going to share one that we haven't talked about yet, which is the New York Times historical newspapers. We've had this one for a while, so some of our listeners may already be aware, but we do have access to a database of New York Times articles from 1851 to 2016. And what I like about this database is that it's really good for academic research, you know, secondary school, or if you have a college paper that you're working on. Um, but it's also it's also a great resource just for really any research interest that you might have. Maybe you need to look up an obituary or something that you remembered reading in the New York Times a few years ago and wanted to get access to again. And it cuts out the need to have a you know a subscription to this historical database yourself if you can get it through the library, which is always nice. And um, it's of course free with your Montclair Public Library card, and you just have to go to our website. MontclairLibrary.org, and you can just search New York Times, and there's a couple pages that all list the same link. So you just click on any one of those links and then click on the link to the actual database. And um, it's all full text. I don't know, it's pretty straightforward. That's kind of all I have to say about it, but it's a really great resource. I'm very bad at math, but it's hundreds of years <laughs> of articles <laughs> or over 100 years. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm so bad at math. I'm not even gonna. No <laughs> I'm not no even gonna problem. calculate that. It's been a very, very long time. This so is embarrassing. <laughs> Can I access current editions of the New York Times? This no, it just goes through 2016 for now. So it's considered a historical, you know, historical article. So I, I believe when we first acquired the database, it went up through 2013. So it it goes up through, I guess, three four years in the past. So you're not going to get the, the very latest. They keep adding to it as, as time marches on. Yeah, and you can download PDFs from it. Um, you can send yourself articles. Very good resource. Yeah. And you said where they can access this resource? Yeah, yeah, on our website. I would just, um, it's on multiple pages, so I would just go use our search feature on our website, MontclairLibrary.org. Just search New York Times, and then um, click on any of the results that come up. It will have a link. I, w I recommend you go to the all online resources link because then you can see all these other things that we have as well. Wonderful, very, yeah. very useful. What will they think of next <laughs> for the library? I should think of something, I'm sure. <laughs> all right, well, thank you for telling us about all these great programs coming up. Sounds like a nice variety. Yeah, definitely. I want to thank the students too. I mean, this the Montclair, students from Montclair and the surrounding region have been wonderful throughout this difficult time. They've continued to support our programs and to enthusiastically spread the word about our classes and our lectures and our workshops. And we just want to thank everyone out there and again wish everyone uh wish safety and health for everyone as we go into the fall. All right. Well, this has been the Molly and Maurice segment. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Hi, this is Ken. The fall is almost upon us, which means that publishers are starting to roll out the big titles as we get closer to the holiday season. For those unfamiliar with publishing trends, September and October are the biggest months in book publishing, so I'm sure there will be even more to talk about next month. The first book I want to talk about today might not be the biggest title, but it is one that I'm excited about. The book is called The Town Crazy, and it's the second novel by Suzzy Roach. 
Suzy is most famous as one of the three sisters who made up the folk group The Roaches, and has also dabbled in acting. She's wonderful in a favorite movie of mine, Crossing Delancey, with Amy Irving and Peter Riegert. Her first book, Wayward Saints, was about a folk singer, but this one goes into new territory. It takes place in a small Catholic town in 1961, as things are shaken up by the arrival of a single dad and by a local woman who seems to be losing her mind. Next up is, and I get a kick out of saying things like this, the new collection by Franz Kafka. How can this be when Kafka has been dead for almost a hundred years? Anyway, The Lost Writings is just that, a collection of 74 very short stories, most of which have never been published before, especially in English. I have no idea what this volume has in store for us, but since it's Kafka, it's bound to be interesting and maybe a little strange. If you've listened to my podcast segments before, you know that I'm a fan of World War II thrillers. One of my favorite writers in this genre is Robert Harris, who gave us Fatherland, Enigma, and Munich, among others. His new book is titled V2 and takes place in late 1944. For those unfamiliar with them, the V-2s were early rockets which were launched from Holland at London in the final months of the war. The book takes parallel plots involving a German rocket scientist and a British spy as they each attempt to find a defector within the German rocket program. And a fun trivia fact, Robert Harris is also the brother-in-law of Nick Hornby, another favorite writer of mine, the author of High Fidelity and About a Boy. HBO's recent revival of Perry Mason has brought new attention to the classic series of novels by Earl Stanley Gardner. Less well known is that Gardner had another series of detective novels that he wrote concurrently with the Perry Mason books, though they were originally published under the pen name A.A. Fair. The Cool and Lamb series features a pair of mismatched detectives. Bertha Cool is a widow who inherits her husband's detective agency. She hires Donald Lamb, who atypically for the genre is more brains than brawn, to do the legwork. Hardcase Crime is republishing the 1961 title Shills Can't Cash Chips, where Lamb has to go undercover as an ex-con to infiltrate a gang pulling an insurance scam. Gardner was a punchy, prolific writer, and his books are always great reads. Last is a book I've been looking forward to ever since I heard it promoted back in April. Unseen City by Amy Schoen takes place in New York over several generations and involves the connecting stories of a librarian, a widower, and a ghost. That's about all I know about it, but I like stories involving librarians, and this one has piqued my interest. Also keep an eye out for the new book by longtime Montclair resident Christina Baker-Klein, as well as Jim Carrey's fictional memoir. That's all for this month. See you next month with more exciting titles in October. Hello again, this is Young Adult Librarian Kirsten, uh, here to recommend a few new titles coming out soon or already available through eBuckles on audio or eBook. So kicking it off, we've got Sia Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland, which is a timely novel exploring the aftermath of ice raids and deportation with a surprising science fiction twist. It's been three years since main character Sia's mother was deported. Though Sia hasn't heard from her since that horrible day and assumes the worst, some nights she still drives out into the desert to perform a vigil in the hopes that she might return. One night, however, things take a bizarre turn when a spacecraft crashes in front of Sia's car, carrying not only a group of possibly alien soldiers, but also her very much alive mother. The rest of the story follows her attempts to save her mother while unraveling some profound secrets about the universe. Next up is Kind of a Big Deal by Shannon Hale. 
This new release from the prolific author follows Josie, an 18-year-old who dropped out of college to pursue Broadway dreams. However, these dreams soon fell flat and resulted in Josie attempting to recoup as a nanny in Montana. She's also dealing with a distant best friend, an unattentive boyfriend, and concerns about her mother's mental health. As an escape, she begins to immerse herself in classic novels, at first figuratively, then literally, as she is actually transported to the world of the books she reads. This whimsical journey of self-discovery is a great choice for fans of Hale, musical theater, and classic literature. Similarly, in this twist on classic literature track, we have Bookish and the Beast by Ashley Poston. It's the third in her Once Upon a Con series, following Geekerella and The Princess and the Fangirl, though it's not necessary to read the first two to enjoy this title. As you might have guessed from the title, this novel follows a Beauty and the Beast trajectory with a Hollywood it boy, Vance, lying low after a scandal in the role of the Beast and small town high school senior, Rosie, standing in for beauty. When their worlds collide and a rare book is accidentally destroyed, Rosie finds herself working for Vance to pay off the debt. Though at first the two feel only mutual dislike, true to form, they begin to develop deeper feelings as the plot thickens. Will they live happily ever after? Check out this fresh adaptation to find out. Finally, we have Fly Girl by Sherry L. Smith. This novel follows Ida Mae Jones, a young black woman in 1940s Louisiana, who wants to follow in her father's footsteps to become a pilot. When America enters World War II and the Women Air Force Service pilots are formed, Ida Mae sees her chance, but joining could mean denying essential parts of her past and her identity. This is part social history, part coming of age story, and it's sure to inspire and educate. Thanks for tuning in again this month. I'll be back next time with more great new releases for you to check out in our youth services section. Thanks again. Hi, this is Adrian of the Montclair Public Library. And today I'm going to talk about The Wide Circumference of Love by Marita Golden. So there's no way around it. Alzheimer's is a very difficult subject and a very difficult thing to experience. But Marita Golden does this in the pages of her book in a way that's so poignant and so tender and funny. I love this book. I enjoyed how Marita Golden took us back into the lives of the characters before the onset of the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and the effects it began to have on each person individually. We get to see how the relationship with Gregory and Mercer, who are now partners in a firm, an architectural firm, how their relationship formed, Gregory Tate came from a very privileged background where Diane came from a very impoverished background and a broken home. It's a beautiful love story. Diane's commitment and bond to nurturing and loving her husband through this for as long as she possibly can. I actually get to feel what Gregory must feel when he came to terms with he's losing his memory and something's terribly, terribly wrong. Because one day he's driving home from work and notices that he's forgetting where he's going. He's arriving somewhere and not knowing exactly where that place is. Diane, his wife, watching him in the backyard instead of watering the flowers in the grass, he's watering a boulder. Yes, a boulder. And Marita Golden has this gift of making us feel exactly what that must feel like for the person actually experiencing it. Like I said, Alzheimer's isn't a very easy thing to deal with or talk about, but she does it and she tells a story that I was through this book in two days. It was that good. And I only put it down to unpack what I had just read. Them having to come to the decision finally to put him in a nursing home because 
one day Gregory actually hits Diane and gives her a black eye. The lock and chains that she has installed on the bedroom doors and throughout the house were a complete illusion. She thought it was going to bring her safety, but it didn't. Diane, Lauren, and Sean all agree that it's time for their father and husband to go into a nursing home. She cannot live like this anymore. It's like she's a prisoner in her own home. The locks didn't keep Gregory from her. And so there's this place called Summer's Bees that they wind up taking him to. And this is where the shifting begins. As much as Diane and Lauren visit him, they begin to see that he has completely lost recognition of who they are. He develops relationships with the other patients. And now is where the story begins to unravel. A very worthy read, highly recommended, The Wide Circumference of Love by Marita Golden. So... I'm here today with Christine Lombardi, an author and illustrator. She's the illustrator of the recently released picture book, The Belonging Tree, which was written by Marianne Kuka Leffer. Welcome to our podcast, Christine. Thank you, Noah. It's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to start with some of our questions about town. So when and why did you move to Montclair? What attracted you to the community? Oh, God. You know, it was about 2005, and I was living in New England, and I moved here for love. I was commuting long distance, back and forth, every other weekend, and he showed me around Montclair, and I thought, what a great place. I could I could handle living here. <laughs> so I moved here, and, you know, he didn't last, but I stayed. <laughs> well, we're really glad you did. <laughs> So do you have a favorite place to get food in Montclair? I'm thinking maybe uh, you could do either pre-COVID or post-COVID. <laughs> well, my favorite breakfast joint is Raymond's. That's always a lot of fun. And I like to sit outside. COVID time, I like to sit outside because they have the tables uh, spaced enough where I feel comfortable and they make great coffee. I have a few places. I like Toros in Upper Montclair, but I have not been there since probably March. Oh my God, there's so many great places. Tinga, that's a cute place. I'm trying to think of where else I like. Uh, a couple places have gone under, so I won't be mentioning those. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm absolutely missing my avocado egg salad. Oh, where did you get that? Uh, Plum on Park. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So the bakery's still around, which is awesome, but I do yeah. miss that. So, yeah, things are changing. Yeah, I, when I drive around, I see a lot of places that I didn't even realize had, had you know, disappeared. But it's, I can't imagine how a restaurant could stay in business throughout all this. Yeah, it's definitely challenging. Um, so I was wondering if you would tell me a little bit about how you originally got involved with publishing um, in children's books. Oh, sure. So I've been an illustrator um, full time since. I guess March of 2003, which seems so crazy. I have a background in advertising and, um, you know, right before I left, my favorite part of the job was always drawing. I was on a lot of new business pitches and really took an interest in illustration. It's actually something going way back to high school that I was interested in. I just never pursued it for, for several reasons. But then I started doing uh, magazines and back when we had CDs, I was doing music CD covers. 
and then I was slowly moving into to more books, more, you know, standard publishing. I did a lot of book covers. I did book interiors. But I always had my eye on children's books, and it was very, very hard to break into. And I ended up taking a course in the city at School of Visual Arts to sort of learn the basics of children's books and how to go about it. I eventually just, I didn't give up. <laughs> it took me a while, but I eventually got my first book deal. I guess it was in, I think it was in late 2013 to come out in 2015. I just kept going after that. I felt like I had momentum and I really enjoy it. People always ask me, do you have children? And, and it's always like the weirdest question when I'm at a book signing because it's, it seems the obvious answer would be like, yes, I have 15 children. But <laughs> I just always tell people, you know, I don't. But it, it's, for me, it's a way of reliving my childhood, which was, you know, thanks to my mom. It was magical. You know, she, she gave me such a great, wonderful childhood. I mean, my father as well. But, um, you know, she is always pushing these creative projects and, I think I just, I look back at that time as just perfect. And I, I kind of like to stay there. <laughs> I'm like a seven-year-old, I think, inside. So it keeps me young. <laughs> and that actually segues beautifully into my next question. I was wondering if you had any mentors in the field that have really helped you along the way. You know, I didn't really have too many mentors in this area. I my my um, instructor was wonderful. Uh, her name is Monica Wellington, and she's seen a lot of her students get published. And so I have a lot of nice things to say about her. Um, but you know, it's funny throughout the process, I I had so many close calls where I thought I was going to get published, or somebody was interested in a either a manuscript or a character that I illustrated. And then it would fall through at the last minute. So I started reaching out to different people over the years. There's a gentleman named Steve Meltzer. He is now retired, uh, but he was over at Penguin. And he was wonderful. He gave me some great advice at the time. And I ended up getting an agent because he really felt like that was sort of the missing link for me. I'm not currently with an agent, but it really did help open the doors. Wow, that's good to know. So did you have any favorite books or illustrators, authors when you were seven years old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I get asked the question, like, what book influenced you? You know, as far as my childhood, I remember Sylvester in the Magic Pebble yes. um, by William Steig. But as far as, you know, I like to plug people that aren't as well known because, you know, you just never know the impact that, that a book will have on a child. When I was young, I was absolutely obsessed with staying up late. Do you remember the little the little square format Whitman Telltale books? Vaguely. Yeah, they they were around. I mean, I'm old now, but um, they were around in the, uh, I guess, in the probably the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Uh, and um, they used to be in grocery stores. You know, they were just these cute little books that were at eye level with a child, you know, that might be sitting in a cart. <laughs> and um, there was a book, Amy's Long Night. The author is Nancy Garber. And it was illustrated by somebody named Lynn Wheeling. And the illustrations really, I, I remember very well. And um, it, it just had such an impact on me. It was just a, basically about a girl wanting to stay up all night. So for her birthday, she was actually uh, told by her parents, okay, you can stay up all night. And <laughs> It's just so funny because it, it's what I experienced when um, I used to stay at my great aunt's uh, house in Boston. And she had these 
she had a front parlor, we called it a parlor then, and um, I remember being in my sleeping bag and being scared of the headlights that were coming, you know, the lights that were coming in the windows from the street. You know, this is in that book, and it's just sort of being scared by everything. When you think staying up all night is so great. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's another one called Ira Sleeps Over by Bernard Waver, and that one also was a big hit with me when I was a kid because I just thought that staying up all night or staying over at a friend's house was just the coolest thing ever. And uh, so those really stand out. Those are, I guess that's my long answer for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Those are great stories. I uh, remember when I stayed up all night for the first time. So yeah, it's kind of a childhood rite of passage. Totally. (laughs) Let's uh, talk a little bit about the belonging tree. Um, How did you get involved? Who invited you to illustrate? Oh, um, my editor, Christy Ottaviano over at Henry Holt, she was in touch with me just before she made an offer, and we sort of went back and forth. I sent her a lot of animal illustrations, and it was funny. She made some specific requests for animals, and I can't remember what they were, but, you know, maybe if it was, the you know, a beaver and a chipmunk, uh, you know, I had something more obscure, like an otter or, <laughs> you know, but I... I just sent her a bunch of animals and then eventually she offered me the project. So I was really excited because it all takes place in the forest. I absolutely love animals and even more so squirrels. So it was a perfect fit. (laughs) Awesome. So I actually was really curious. I think so many of your books really highlight and focus on, on animals. I'm thinking of Grumpy Pet and Lovey Bunny. So is there an animal that you haven't illustrated that you're really dying to work with? I am working on a book right now, well, actually in the process of pitching a book, and there's a gator in it, but it's really not a real gator. <laughs> That's another story, but I have really enjoyed drawing it. It's, um, it's just such a, a quirky uh, animal. Um, but yeah, I think I would be on board illustrating just about any animal story. I, I uh I, I am just, I can't say enough just how much I love animals. And if I write more books about them, I'd like to continue along the path of the grumpy pets because I really want to get that message out to children to rescue and adopt versus go to a pet store, you know, super important to me. Yeah. So what's your illustration process when you have animal characters? Do you do real life observation how do you get started? I do. Yeah, I, I do a little bit. It's, you know, with the squirrels in particular, I spend a lot of time watching them because they have the funniest body language. You know, they have a habit. Squirrels have a habit of standing up on their on their back feet and they, they put their hands together almost like they're, they're being kind of dainty. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really funny. And the way they go after uh, each other and up trees and jumping off branches to a lower branch and... So in that case, I did observe a lot. And uh, chipmunks are a little faster. They're a little harder to observe because they're like bullets running across the the grass. So I rely on photos a lot. But over the years, what I've realized is I don't like using much photo reference. I I have to get the body shape right and the general proportions. But I think it, it, it almost does my illustration a disservice. You know, almost the more realistic it looks, the more uptight my drawing is. So I have to sort of start from realism, 
and then just sort of make it my own, you know, really loosen it up. You know, I've always loved Margaret Boy Graham. She was, uh, she did tons of books in the 50s and 60s, really loose pencil style. And I, I, I just think she nails it, you know, with, with humans and animals alike. I think she just has a whimsy to her line work. And that is what I would like to achieve with my own because it's, it's just more fun that way. You know, it's, you might be able to draw a perfect squirrel, but it's, it's kind of boring. So you have to make the eyes bigger and the tail bushier and, you know, pick out those little characteristics of an animal that, that just make it more endearing. You know, with Lovey Bunny, I mean, her ears were, you know, 40 feet long. <laughs> you know, and I, I brought out, uh, you know, certain features of, of that bunny that, uh, you know, probably really doesn't look at all like a bunny. But I, I wanted to, you know, make her more of a character. So I have two follow-up questions. One, did you have a favorite place in Montclair to observe squirrels? Now, I'm not just <laughs> for myself. My dog really, really wants to know. Oh, sorry. I spent a lot of time at Brookdale Park, um, some time at Van Vleck, and then just walking. You know, I go walking every day, so I'm all over the place. You know, I just see them. You know, you see squirrels everywhere you go. It's not hard to find them. <laughs> My dog is a master at finding them, so we were looking for a huge, huge place to go squirrel observing. So we haven't tried out Brookdale Park, so maybe we'll do that. <laughs> I'm one of those people that will go off the road into a ditch to save a squirrel that's in the road. <laughs> so when I was working on the book, I, I, I was particularly uh, sensitive to squirrels that were jumping out in front of my car. Because I was like, no, 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 you can't do this. You know, but, it, you know, from observing them so much, they really just, it's almost like they run in the face of danger instead of away from it. I actually, when I'm on the road, I try to sort of guess what the squirrel's thinking because if it sees the car, it's going to go the other way and it's immediately going to come back. So I usually veer the other direction. <laughs> I've clearly given this way too much thought. Well, I think it really helps because it gives your squirrels individual personality. I mean, I feel like reading yeah. a belonging tree, you know who's who just by looking at them because they they're all different and you really do get that individuality. And, and I think observing and observing more is really how to do that. So I think you're Thank you. successful. So we have a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with libraries and specifically with the Montclair Public Library? Oh, yeah. You know, my whole life, I've been a huge fan of libraries. And um, my mother used to take me to the local library in Massachusetts. It was the early 70s. And they used, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a, a giant fountain in the lobby. And I would always throw pennies into it. And that was a big, you know, that was a big thing for me as a kid. Now, you know, can I have some pennies? So we were always checking out books there. And then over the years, you know, no matter where I lived, I went to the library when I moved here, it became even more important because I didn't know anybody, you know, back in 2005. And I'm in walking distance to the Montclair Public Library. So I began to go there a lot and spent a lot of time there. And, you know, it's such a great library. It's probably one of the biggest that I've had access to in recent years, you know, throughout my move, which is probably the best one ever. Although I must say up in Massachusetts was the cutest one ever. You know, they had a little fireplace, you know, and it was very cozy on winter days when it was snowing. And um, But Montclair is absolutely amazing. I love the people. 
I love that it's three floors. It's just so many endless great things about that place. It's um, and of course the children's wing. Um, where you are, but you know, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, anytime I've ever wanted a book, uh, and they didn't have it, they've ordered it for me. Um, you have the buckle system so I can check books out online. And now, you know, during COVID, I'm able to, uh, pick them up on the sidewalk. It's just wonderful. It's been such a great resource. I can't say enough great things about it. It's probably one of the things I miss most is going there and walking around and looking at all the, all the new releases or sneaking up to the children's floor and just getting inspired and, and talking to you. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place. I'm always telling people, go to your local library. You don't need to buy every book, you know, and I'm always trying to declutter. So it's, I like it even more for that reason. You know? So we're going to end with one last question. And um, I'm wondering what you're curious about these days. Oh, well, you know, I, I've always been a bit of an architecture buff. You know, I love, I have an interest in buildings and houses. So I've been working on a lot of house portraits. Um, I started a little side business called Storied Houses. I've been doing a lot of house portraits. I've been working with realtors and I really enjoy it. I think Montclair has some of the most beautiful homes of anywhere I've lived. So that's one interest. I'm going to start doing more just sort of personal art projects you know I've been working on some shadow boxes and I'm going to play with lighting you know I just I have a lot of interest but lately the books they take you know 80% of my time and I'm about to start a new book you know it's just a lot so I don't really have a ton of time for personal projects but I have so many interests and I would eventually like to do a biography like a biography picture book Hmm. so that's something I'm also interested in and I'm thinking about chipping away at that. <laughs> time you're able to visit the library. I have a couple of uh, suggestions that you might want to look at in the picture book biography. Thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to buy. I really like that. Well, Christine, it has been wonderful speaking with you, and I want to thank you again for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor. I really, I love this town and I'm proud to be a part of it. I actually, I I meant to point that out. I dedicated the belonging tree to our town. So a little shout out. (laughs) Well, it's a perfect way to end our talk today, talking full circle and returning to your book. So good luck and I'll see you soon. All right. Thank you so much, Noah. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Check Us Out, the podcast of the Montclair Public Library. As always, you can find out more information about the services, resources, and programs we've talked about on our website, montclairlibrary.org. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you.